And you know it, welcome to Human Becomings, and I hope that your right eye is feeling better today and eventually will heal along the okay. way. Once I, after this, after this episode, I'm going to go to the store and buy some eye drops. I usually, I'm staying at a different place today, but I have like eye drops in my car. I have eye drops in my bedroom. Like I have eye drops everywhere. I just don't have eye drops here. So that's, you know, that's just how life is. Well, you have it everywhere except the one place you need it. So. And when you need it, you know. And when you need it. Right? <laughs> and it makes us realize, it makes yeah. us realize how important something is until we do not have it. <laughs> but Nick, do you know what you are you found it and you created nodegree.com would you like to just share what this effort is why did you create this effort i want to know the why behind this huge effort of yours so let me let's go back to 2013 so 2013 i was browsing reddit so i've, I've been using reddit for a long time since i was like in high school this is like 2008. So before it was like really popular and when it was higher quality, I mean, there's still some high quality stuff on there. You just have to swift through a lot more garbage than before. And someone asked a question for those of you without a college degree who make over six figures, what do you do and how'd you get the job? So as I was reading through the thread, people were like, I'm a claims adjuster. I'm an elevator repairman. I'm just jobs you don't know about it. Like very few kids say, hey, I want to grow up and become an elevator guy. I want to grow up and fix escalators for a living or hey I want to grow up to be an escalator everybody just says hey I want to be a police officer firefighter doctor lawyer and some other careers that you just know about and then I kind of kind of thought and how'd you get the other part of the question is how'd you get the job and it was like oh my uncle my cousin my friend someone I knew I was at the right place at the right time and it was kind of it kind of made me feel for people who kind of don't have good jobs or don't even have jobs because they don't have that friend, right? They don't have that uncle and it's none of their faults. So from that, I kind of was like, okay, you know what? Let me, I searched up trades.com. Someone was selling it, but trades.com, if I don't know if you guys know domains, but they're gonna ask like easily a hundred K if not more, right? I could easily see them. That's like a pretty, you know, dictionary word. So then I typed in nodegree.com, you know, I was like, oh, let me type it in, right? And it was like, you know, they had the form. I filled it out. I didn't expect much. I got an inquiry, didn't respond. And then they say, hey, we'd love to sell you the domain for like 1800 bucks. It was 1800 or something like 18, less than 1900, 1833, something like that. And then I called like two of my buddies. I was like, oh, we need to, I was like, we need to buy this. And we had like, you know, whatever we split. And then my friend did some research. They were a domain reseller. He's like, look, negotiate and then I got I think I got it for like 1433 I probably still have the email somewhere and you know that's how it was sort of born and at first the first few years it was like a bunch of guys in a basement you know who were and you know while I would love to have worked on it full time you know the fact is none of us came from very privileged backgrounds we needed to work to sort of get our first job save up some money and it, it just you know I did a lot of reading researching on the different ways of how I can make money off the website so it's sustainable and you know now it's at the point where finally everything's coming together and I've really got enough knowledge into a space where I know exactly what I need to do it's gone through several like iterations just like any startup you pivot you figure out what you need to do and now I'm in a comfortable place but 
the goal of it is to help those without college degrees find meaningful jobs that pay well because oftentimes you even most career advice out there is very bad it's like you're only told to become like five careers they never ask you why what you're good at they never assess you and then you know if you tell someone you're not going to college they just tell you hey are you just going to flip burgers for the rest of your life they just pigeonhole you into a small amount of careers when the fact is I know electricians who sometimes make like 20k a week you know depending on what projects are on you know 10 to 20k a week is that common no but just like it's not common for a tech guy to make 20k a week there are plenty of electricians plumbers welders elevator repair people these people in unions who have very comfortable lives and who different things who have upward job mobility and growth and they do respectable work because think about like an elevator uh, mechanic every building has an elevator and the fact is there are more and more build, buildings being built the elevators need repair and maintenance that's probably not going to be automated so it's like they need them and the fact is if you're against that job then go take the stairs you know you're free to take the stairs on a 64 building right so it's just like you know, I think my, the main thing I didn't like was that people without college degrees have a stigma attached to them. They're, le they're seen as less intelligent. They always have to prove like, oh, I'm smarter. I'm, I'm, I'm not dumb. But the fact is, I think someone, everybody, regardless, either nobody should have to prove it or everybody should have to prove it because I've worked with people with degrees and some of them you wonder, it's like, what? Like, you're so ignorant. You're so, you lack so much knowledge and, you know, so much worth is tied to that degree. I meet so many people without degrees and they just tie their self-worth like they have it affects their self-worth when the fact is it shouldn't because at the end of the day if you're doing something that provides value to society that's all that matters for example the doctor has a nurse and has a bunch of other staff that help them do their jobs and then that they have the secretaries right they have the ambulance drivers and you need the mechanics and you need all that so it's like if you break any part of the chain, if you get rid of the car mechanics and people forget it, you know, they look at doctors saving lives. What about the EMTs who are on, first on the scene, right? And who are doing things that are necessary and who do save lives. Why, why don't they get the same recognition as doctors just because they went to more school? And the fact is there are so many doctors you go and they went through so many schools and they're still bad doctors. So I think that's even worse if you go to so many years of freaking school and you're still a bad doctor. Like if I spent 20 years, you know, 12 years, eight years in specialized school and I'm still bad at the topic, it either, that shows how terrible the schooling is and it also shows how that person's inadequacy, right? And it's the fact is, how many good doctors do you know? It's rare. The fact is the majority of doctors are not good. So medical school does not do what it's supposed to do. The boards do not filter out the people who are supposed to filter out. And you know, the oath is sort of garbage. You went deep. I love it. <laughs> I can go deeper, but I feel like no, I, no, no. I, so, I wanted you guys to get some action. All right. So you mentioned a lot of points. So yeah, on my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to record it so you could always go back and make sure. You yeah. So you mentioned a very important point, July. You mentioned about, you know, how we recognize people who have got degrees or if their degree is worth it. And this is very close to my heart. And sometimes it irritates me because of how social cues or how socially we have been programmed how to interact. And this is just personally, and I, you know, if someone disagrees with me, I'd like to understand why you're disagreeing or what your perspective. 
But every time I go to parties or networking events or anything, right, when I'm meeting a stranger for the first time or even family gatherings, oh, don't talk about family gatherings, that's some other annoying shit. Yeah, oh, but, man. <clears throat> the first question, strangers, right, they would ask, oh, so what do you do? What's your background in? So until if I do not say what my background is or what I do, then people assume that I am this colored immigrant who just don't know what I'm talking about. But when I have credentials, oh, my background is in engineering and I, I found out my company and then people are like, oh, really? Oh, so you know what you're talking about. But there's also another layer, right? And then people will say, oh, you're just a kid. You do not know what you're talking about. But you highlight a very important point. If someone is hit, by a car on the road, right? We do not go and ask, hey, oh, the, to the person who's helping us, hey, I, you know, what's your background? What's the degree? What's your experience? Are you a CEO? If you're a CEO, yes, please help me because I'm dying, I'm bleeding, I just yeah. got hit by a car. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a great example because people are so tied to, I don't know, it's like, just listen to people, hear what they have to say. It's, I, I learned so much from, I've learned so much from kids. Right. One of my, I always ask my nephew different things. He's like 11 years old. And the fact is you can learn, if you have a great attitude, you can learn wherever you go. If you have a closed attitude, you dismiss so many great people because the fact is people can learn, especially now compared to before. There's so many online courses. There's so many great kids who, you know, by the time they're into to going to college for them is a waste of time because they can, they just self learn so well that college is just, you know, them being in a room filled with mediocre people when it comes to their talent, respective talents. And yeah, just like you said, when you're going and you have issues and right. And someone's helping you. If someone's helping you at a time of need, you're not assessing their background. You are just sort of accepting their help. And I think, I think we as a society need to really move away from credentials and all that stuff. Like you can just ask them stuff, talk about them. And then sometimes people abuse their credentials because there are plenty of judges who went to Ivy League schools who are not fair, right? Plenty of people who went to these great places who are still racist, who still discriminate, who are still jerks as people. And I'm going to tell you one thing, you go to any corporate place, right? You stand in the bathroom for one hour. I guarantee you, you'll find a lot of people who don't wash their hands and all of them have degrees. So the fact is, they didn't learn basic, you know, there's so many things, judge people by what they do, right? Don't purely assign because, you know, it's just a way for people to sort of gatekeep and make them feel better about themselves. So I went to Columbia and Ivy League school and I paid for it, whatever, like $65,000. And the biggest benefit for that degree is that people know I'm not a fucking idiot, right? That's kind of why. But other than that, it's like, I didn't learn anything crazy. It's not, it's not. It hasn't got to me where I am today. It hasn't helped me with my soft skills. And the fact is, I couldn't relate to a lot of the kids because they're just wealthy kids who, you know, their parents pay them, you know, pay their $4,000 a month apartment. And when they're low on money, they can get, you know, a wire transfer and any issues. Like they don't, a lot of those kids don't know struggle. The fact is, it's a whole different environment. You have these international kids who, you know, the moment they graduate, their parents start a company and hire people and make them you know, a director or CEO, right? It's like, how can you talk, give people advice when you just had everything in your life handed to you? And you know, the, I'm not saying they're dumb kids. Some of them are very smart kids, but the fact is, it's like, 
I don't personally know anyone that can pay over $100 an hour for a tutor. And you can't talk about hard work and success when you have that. You just can't. Like, you, you know, it's okay to do that. And it's okay to do that for your kids. But you can't go and tout and say other people are not successful because they don't work hard enough. When the fact is that you don't even have to, you know, worry about cleaning your room because your mom has two maids. I definitely didn't grow up in a privileged situation. I don't know why a lot of people, most of my friends always think, oh, you know, you're so gifted. Gifted in a sense where everything was handed to me. No, my parents had two or three jobs. Yeah. And a lot of people don't really understand that. I remember one time in high school, there was a girl, she was like, yeah, we have a second home, like a vacation home. Like, I don't, like that concept is like vacation home. Like we need our first home owning our first home. I have a tent. Yeah. And it was just like, oh yeah, but we have two mortgages and you know, it's like, okay. Like, you know, it's like some people just live in a, look, it's again, it's okay to have those things, but just realize that, you know, most people, you know, owning a home, even one home in an okay area is a luxury. So, you know, having a vacation home, like worst case scenario, it's like, oh man, I, you know, think about it. You fall into, you run into an issue and you're like, oh man, I have to sell my vacation home. It's like, okay. You know, but it's like real, like, you know, having, you know, someone, it's different, right? When you just have to worry and you have this constant, they even show studies that it affects your brain, right? If you grow up in poverty, it affects your decision-making. And then some people can't really let go of it. It affects like- But it's also like generational, you know, because it's not just like having- um, the trauma, like coming from living in like these areas, which are like affected yeah. by so many exogenous forces. And it's like, okay, like you're in poverty, you're in the struggles that come with poverty. And it's like, your child is going to have that poverty. You know what like, I their grandchild's going to have that poverty. And it's just like, people are like, oh, just get out of it. You know, pick yourself off the bootstraps. And it's like, no, it's actually a lot. It's yeah, less it's, productive, you know? And you know, the I want to talk about picking yourself up by the bootstraps because you know, it's like an oxymoron that you physically cannot you know, you physically cannot pick yourself up by your bootstraps because it's not going to, you can't pick yourself up. And it's kind of funny that people use that because it kind of just shows that they're ignorance. Look, I'm not saying that anybody, nobody can get out of their situation, right? But the fact is you have to look at statistics. You have to see that, you know, by four years old, they can sort of determine how, what you're going to do in life to a decent degree. The biggest, the biggest predictor of your sex success is your parents wealth and the fact is even having involved parents just goes a long way and you know people and then you you know the one person that comes up from a bad background says if i can do it you can do it but the fact is statistically you know survivorship bias is a real thing that just because you have gone through it you know if i jump if 100 people jumped off a bridge and including me and i survived all of a sudden now i say hey i'll write a book on how i survived it and i can tell you what made me different and how when i was a kid i thought of jumping off a bridge and surviving but the fact is i just got lucky right and a lot of people don't seem to realize that luck does play a factor even in my life right the fact is i'm an able-bodied person that doesn't have any severe things because i i think about you know especially the way education is moving is that you look at a person in a wheelchair right they have all the capability they can't walk so now when they go to college, right? Yes, they can attend classes, but their transportation takes twice as long. They have to plan their day. It's not the same experience. And for them, it's so much harder to get the same benefit, right? They can't go to the same clubs because 
it just affects their day. They have to go through different entrances. They have to go to this, they have to plan things. Like I remember during this one meeting, so I was the president of the Toastmasters Club at Columbia University, which is a public speaking club. One guy had a wheelchair and there was this one room, there were like four steps, so he couldn't get in. And he had to get up and we lifted his wheelchair in. But I'm saying it's like he has to worry about those thoughts that someone who can walk with no issues has to worry about. So that's why I'm very happy that education is being more accessible because now the person who can't necessarily walk to class, you know, they in a wheelchair, now they can just sit at home and sort of not worry, you know, not travel two, three times as long because they're losing so many minutes in the day just moving around. Very, very true points that you bring up, John and you mentioned if I can do, you can do it kind of mentality, right? I want to dig a little bit deeper into that mentality where you mentioned that, you know, different people experience it differently. And then some people just get there and write a book about it, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, I have experienced it personally and I've seen a lot of people uh, impose those kind of thoughts. <clears throat> and it's just not people uh, who, who, need to go to school, but also people who need to go to work as well. I have got a paralyzed mum, and she's paralyzed on the right side. No, the right side is paralyzed and she, she can't speak. She lost her speech. It's been 20 years. Uh, she had a severe stroke. And even that mentality of, if I can do it, you can do it. And I've had other people, um, actually like doctors and nurses, it's going back to your point as, as to just because you went to medical school does not mean that you're a good doctor. Yeah. And doctors saying, oh, there are patients who have recovered fully. But even to the granular sense where those patients have recovered fully, what kind of resources did they have? Uh, at what level or at what degree did their paralysis or stroke did it get affected? Right? And and it's not the same. It's not the same kind of experience. And 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 they were like, oh, your mom is a lost cost. But the thing is that it's not a lost cost. Mentally, she's still there. Even though clinically, they have said that she's mentally not there. If, if I can say something to her and she understands, the rate of which that communication is happening has shifted. It's not like, hey, Janaya and Anna Lee, we're having a conversation. Let's talk about puts and thoughts and whatnot and let's laugh about it. But the needs have shifted, right? Even the humor in which that someone else of that caliber, of, you know, who has lost their identity, who, who has lost their capability of being independent, everything shifts. And, and just to say like, if I can do it, you can recover. I remember one of my uncles telling my mom, <clears throat> you can definitely do it, it's all in your mindset. Yeah. But, I mean, look, I think mindset is important and it's one part of the equation, but, you know, it's like telling someone who's working two to three jobs that they don't have the right mindset. Or, like, they don't have the right work ethic. It's like, yeah. no, that's not the problem at all, actually. You know, maybe, look, I'm not saying they're doing everything right, but they're clearly doing a lot of things right. So you mentioned about work ethic, Annalie. Um, uh, I know, Janoy, you mentioned about, you know, work ethic as well. And work ethic, okay, and you mentioned about success too. So I'm getting really passionate about all these topics. So, yeah. <laughs> so how, how, I want to just hear from both of your talks. How do you define success? What does success actually mean to you? And what's the why behind success? I think 
I have my personal definition of success and for myself, what I would find successful and what I, a general definition of success, but I think success is, it varies by person to person. And me, what I kind of see success, I don't see success as a point in time. I see success as a sort of a state and a sort of sense of being. So a successful person is just trying to improve regardless of where they are. And those are, that's sort of what I see success as that success is different for every person for a person that's in a wheelchair success could mean taking that one step right versus a person that could walk that one step is a failure so we have to really look at i think every person has to really look at what makes them successful right for some per some people you know being able to even read and finish a whole book is success whilst other people it's an underachievement so i think success is the is really defined by the person's resources by what they can do and it's you know it's different for everybody and i think that we always tie success as to one definition like oh you you have this you make this much money but to me the person who's making a lot of money but so empty and you know still so petty and still not a good person they're not successful whereas the person that's making even you know 10 percent the money of that other person but they're leading fulfilling lives they're helping out people they're making the world a better place to me they're successful yeah i think that when i think of success now i think if you would have told me like even a few months ago that like success is like making sure you can like meet the metrics making sure like when people ask you what are you doing for a living like okay i have something to say but i think for me it's just like i see so many people who are miserable in their jobs every day who like come home and like all they want to do is sleep or they need a drink like immediately because work is so awful. I just remember like sitting there, like trying to figure out my life and being like, I couldn't be unhappy. Like when I leave work, like that's my metric is happiness and having balance, like between where like my work doesn't take over my life. And I think for me, it's like, yeah, like you said, like one, what is success is relative for each person. Cause I remember even being a teacher where like, there's some kids where I'm like, his success is like making sure like he can write the paper. Like I know this girl can succeed if she, you know, just uses like better grammar and like better syntax in a paper. And whereas like maybe another boy, like it'll be like, you know what, his success was actually coming to class today. Like yeah. his success wasn't falling asleep during class or like staying engaged, finishing an assignment. And people will be like, no, it's not good enough. That's not good enough, but it is, right? Because we don't know you know, what's going on in school. Like there's one, like one boy who couldn't even like stay, you know, awake in class while his brother just got shot. So yeah. like, you know, it's different from like the little boy who maybe does like have both parents or lives with like a grandparent that like keeps more stability. So I think it's not just tying like our self-worth to productivity. I think that we're so used to being like, if you're productive, if you have like these really tangible contributions and like that means that you're worthwhile. Like you, ex like you should like have a place in this earth. And it's like, no, as even like the bum who, you know, is, you know, people call him a bum, like who, you know, just walks around, does nothing all day or just job searches. Like, no, like that's somebody who's actually still doing something, right? Yeah. Like that's somebody who can help somebody else out. That's someone who maybe complimented somebody and like that makes them feel better. You know, I think that we all have so many little contributions in this world. I think it's really just to say like it's where you went to school like that doesn't mean anything to me like i trust me there are good people and jerks from all schools regardless of where you go to there's no one school that has a, a majority of the jerks or who has a majority of the great people 
And, you know, so it's just something to just think about. Yeah, because that's what I just remember, because that's actually one of my qualms when I went to like grad school, because I had, you know, professors that would be like, you know, I went to Michigan, I went to Yale, I went, you know, and I'm like, okay, so who are we doing this for, right? Like, are we doing this for ourselves? Because maybe we felt like lower at one point in time, like, why is your institution, like your institution doesn't make you who you are, right? It's like what you've done afterwards, right? It's the papers you published, it's, you know, are you going to like, is that Yale degree going to make you a good professor? Like, am I going to learn off the Yale degree? I, I mean, that's still up for debate. There are a lot of people who are bad professors. So, you know, I've seen it. There was one guy who went to Harvard, and he was a brilliant guy, but he was just a bad professor. And it's like, okay, so how are you successful if you can't teach? Right. And it's like, if you can't, like, expand my worldview, what is it? I mean, a Yale degree doesn't mean anything to me. Like, I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? A lot of people have limiting thinking, limiting be uh, beliefs, and also people frame their identities uh, according to according to the institutes that they go to. Um, of course, everything is programmed since childhood, uh, or what is being consumed on the telly or on the radio. I don't even know if people listen to the radio, but you know, whatever that they listen to, wherever that they're getting these these news from people frame their identity to make themselves feel better or look better but both of you bring up a very good point as to you know to to be successful or to attain success it's not about the degrees that you have or but it's not about the job that you have uh, it's about you know progressing from one state to the other uh, you know success can be so polarized from one person to the other and this whole concept of you're not good enough comes into place as well and and where did that come from where did that lingo come from you are not good enough uh, i mean this is just not inherently present in the u.s it's present in different parts of the world that i've lived in and that whole concept of you're not good enough, it, it, it is becoming a global phenomenon. If you look at, even on TikTok, there's competition as to, I can do better dance videos, I can do more creative videos, or even on Snapchat, uh, you know, that 10 second uh, trick or 10 second, what do you call that? Uh, I can't remember the title. But I, I, watch, I don't have Snapchat or TikTok. <laughs> Like, oh. so it's, <laughs> He's got Instagram a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> so all those things, right? It's I, you know, I, I want to hear. I'm just curious to hear both of your input. You know, where did that whole not good enough um, lingo start from? And and I'll, is it good to have uh, to to be exposed to that lingo not good enough? And is it good or is it bad or is it good and bad? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think there always needs to be a balance. So I think that you should only say you're not good enough if you personally know the person and you know they could do better, right? That's when you say, hey, what you did is not good enough, right? But I think generally it's, it's just not a healthy attitude to have because I think it really stems from people who are not comfortable with their identities and they have to put others down in order to feel better about themselves. So I think it's it's just really negative and it's not something that is is pretty healthy. 
And look, it's one thing if a person close to you says you're not good enough and they come from a place of trying to help you saying, hey, Mila, you're not good enough because I know your potential and you can do so much better. That's one thing versus you're not good enough because you yourself are not good enough. That's right. There's a different way of saying it. So I think that's the key differentiator in that statement. And it needs to be like carefully worded and said. Yeah, I think like when I think about like not good enough, I just like go back to like since we're born, like there's all sorts of milestones and metrics that we impose on us. Like I just think about like kids, somebody talking about, I remember I babysat a little girl and she didn't talk a lot. And her mom is like, I've like taken her to the pediatrician because I'm really worried that she doesn't say enough words. And I'm being like, well, what, what does that mean? And she's like, well, she's supposed to say 26 words at like this point in her life. And she's like not saying, and I'm like really, really worried. And like, she only says like juice, like that's all she wanted was juice. And I remember being like, well, like kids like develop, you know, differently, but it's like sense, like, I mean, she's two and she's already hearing that like, because she's not saying 26 words that she's not good enough, right? That she's different from other kids. Other kids are doing better than she is. And so, and I think it's like other milestones. It's like right away when we go to like first grade, they have us taking standardized tests. Like they have us, you know, you know, you take the Iowa basics like I did in like second grade. And it's like, okay, here's where you are. You're better than 99% of the other people. That's good. Like you're good enough, right? And it's like, we keep doing these things throughout our lives. Like here's where we need to be. Like here's where you can grow. And it's like, we're always ranking ourselves in like, comparison to other people so it's just like now we've been told our whole lives like it's not necessarily that you're not good enough but you now know who's better than you you know who were like you know you're not really where you need to be to like make someone I know feel proud of you or like say that you're doing like good enough yeah I think it's just like the we've not really told I feel like told kids a lot like just do your best and like really actually meant it like you'll say just try your heart like try you know your hardest try your best but then, like, what's the follow-up behavior afterwards? Is it like, okay, your best was a C? You know? Okay, like, leave it at that. But I think that it's not only, like, it's the behaviors and it's, like, what type of structures we, like, place in kids' lives that are showing them that, like, eh, maybe not so good, you know? You bring up a very good point that, uh, you know, your friend's troll not being able to, didn't start speaking at such an age. My nephew didn't speak. Uh, until he was what, the two and a half or three, all he said was, <coughs> that was all he said until he hit two and a half or three years old. And I remember my my sister telling me that she got a lot of of you know just bad comments from her friends, saying that oh you know you're not you're not doing a good job you're not being a good parent you have to teach your kid how to speak, but even that right? Even that is like, what makes you the expert of parenting to come and tell someone else, like, you need to get, do a good job in parenting. If, if, if someone is not at that rate, at that space, or at that point of time, where they are not ready yet, how can you force something onto someone else, right? And it's not the child's problem, it's not a flaw, it's just part of growing. It's just part of how we each are. And tonight and Ali, but you both touched on something. Everyone has got their own capabilities and the capabilities to grow uh, at, 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 you know, uh, dependent on having an open mind or dependent on the resources that they have or dependent on the environment. 
that they have. But it's really sad to see someone, you know, pick on a child saying, uh, or on a parent saying, oh, you need to be a better parent and do this, or your child needs to be speaking at this age, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> I think it's just bloody bullshit. Yeah, look, I mean, it's one thing if the parent is being truly neglectful and that's the result of their speech. But the fact is, look, if they're doing what their part, kids just develop differently. I knew like people who went, who were like valedictorians of their middle school who did terrible in high school because you know what? They just peaked earlier. So you kind of have to really assess each things at an individual level and really understand what's going on. Because yeah, one of my friends from elementary school, he's actually a legitimately bad parent. And so he's the one that deserves that. But, you know, I've seen all types where parents, you know, they're so worried about, you know, like the 26 words and this and that. And it's just like, they're just worried a little too much. Just out of curiosity, what is the 26 words? I, I do not, I'm not exposed to that. I'm a little bit ignorant of that. What is that? It's just, they just need to be able to say like 26 words. So like, <clears throat> so they should be able to like say like cup or like food, you know, mom, dad. And it's like, if they don't have like a vocabulary that consists of at least 26 words, then it's like they're falling behind. But I was like, well, if you speak to your kid, like, you know what I mean? Like I would see throughout this, like she would just be like doll, food, like juice. Mm. And like would say more words. It was just like, I guess not. I mean, I think it's just different how like people stimulate you. And then I would like play with her and I would like teach her new words and she would start saying the words, you know? And it was, it's like, it's just like how a kid is stimulated, you know? It's like, and that was also too, it's like both of the parents worked really hard jobs too. And it was like, you know, it's not like her parents weren't idiots. So she probably wasn't going to be an idiot. Like I had conversations with both of her parents. It wasn't like they were just silent all day. And I was like, once they just start having more conversations, even just around her, like she'll learn. It might not be like, and I, she probably actually did know 26 words, but like, just, I guess, never said them. I was like, she was yeah. kind of a quiet kid anyway. So I was like, so just be, somebody might just be quiet. So I don't, you know, it's hard to gauge. Yeah. I was a quiet child. I was too. <laughs> That's why I was like, I didn't really say anything. Somebody thought that, that I might be disabled because I didn't really say anything. But I would like, I would react to what people were saying. I just never thought it was like worth my time. Like, I feel like they like, my parents will say today that I still make like the same faces I did when I was like two, when mm. people would speak to me and I like didn't find it at all stimulating. I'll be like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, same face, two years old. And I'm like, okay, well, something's never changed, I guess. Yeah. Well, it all goes back to meaning, meaningful um, jobs or meaningful interactions right? Uh, both of you made a very, uh, have been making really great points throughout this whole conversation of, you know, making meaningful engagements, meaningful conversations, meaningful jobs. Uh, and meaningful can differ with everyone, right? How someone perceives meaningful to be. And, and Janaya, you have been doing very meaningful acts and, and efforts in your community. And it's, it's just so heartwarming to see, you know, more and more people take on, take on that whole landscape of, you know, just because you do not have a degree does not mean that you're not capable of, or you're not meaningful, or your life is not meaningful, or you're not doing meaningful jobs. So from your perspective, and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, your perspective will, will, click with everyone but it might click with someone right um 
and that's the whole thing I always like asking perspectives from your perspective how can someone find meaning in your job despite society's imposed negative thoughts I think it's very important for the leaders at the job to really make it meaningful and to empower the people within who are holding that job because oftentimes people can have the greatest job in the world, but if they have a crappy manager or crappy leader, uh, you know, my, I have a saying, well, I've probably said it before, but I say shit flows downhill. And the fact is the CEO who has like a bad mood and his EVPs and their whatever, all the VPs and directors, and it just flows. And the fact is it, it really stems from the top. So it's like, if you want to motivate your employees, then, you know, make it meaningful, figure out what they're good at, figure out what they're not good at. Because oftentimes they just say, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. A good leader should figure out what you're best in, what you're not good in, and then figure out what, how they can structure a team so that they can get the most amount of work done. And that people are working on the things they care about. Some people like talking to people. Some people prefer to support. Some people prefer to do a different type of work. So I think that's how, I think it really stems from the leader. Now from the person themselves, I think, that sometimes either you can't really find fulfilling stuff at your job just because some jobs are not fulfilling, but I think you don't necessarily need to have your job fulfilling. I think you could find fulfillment elsewhere, like find something outside of work because you can't really depend on your work always being, it. look, it's beautiful when it is, but the fact is for most people, they will not be able to work on what they feel most fulfilled by, and that's okay. I would tell people not to work in something they hate in, right? If they really hate a certain aspect, but to at least find a job they don't hate. And then find, if you can find that fulfillment outside, because if you get fulfilled from your job and you get fired, what happens? Like, are you no longer going to be fulfilled? So you, you can't always, you have to find a way to sort of fulfill yourself and use certain aspects and then kind of do that. That's deep. That's really deep. You know, find it out. <laughs> I just love your mind. I want to take out your brain and then give it a hug and put it back in. But that sounds creepy. All right. So, <laughs> but, but I mean, one day we'll probably be able to do that. Uh, <laughs> that's true. But you bring up a very, very good point, right? Uh, you know, what if someone gets fired and they find fulfillment in the job? What happens then? That's a really great point that you make. Um, and fulfillment can be found in something else as well. Anneli, do you have anything to add? Just no, that's what I was trying to, because I'm currently kind of trying to figure out what like my life will look like in the next year or two. And that's how I remember like talking to someone and I was like, you know, I'm reading like you read like glass door things or and it's like everyone is talking about like, I hate this. I hate this job. And I was like, for me, I'm like, is the bar so low? And I'm like, I just want to like a decent work life balance. People are like, you're crazy if you think that. I'm like, no, I think you like, you know. do a little work, but it's definitely feasible. Yeah, like I was like, it's feasible. He's like, you have to work at it. And then they're like, that's, and I was like, and I don't want to hate my job. They're like, ha ah, like millennial. And I'm like, it's like hating your job, like where it's so low. And that's what I was like, you know, I don't mind finding fulfillment outside, you know, because it's like the workplace can't give you everything. Like your work literally isn't your life. And I was like, and I feel bad for the people who are kind of like, you know, I like love my job so much. Like that's all I do is hang out with like, you know, people from work. And I'm like, well, what about everything else that like is in your life? Like, does that take a back seat because you're working? Like, I don't think that's healthy either. So yeah. it is just trying to find, I was like, you know, I'm trying to find the things that give me joy 
And it's like making sure that I still give time to that. Like the people who give me joy, like I'm giving them time. You know, it's not just like work, 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 you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of you. It's, it's about, because we are made of different planes. When I say different planes, uh, our identity is just not singular. It comes from a very extended lens. Uh, you know, how we engage, whom do we engage with, where do we engage with, why do we engage with, how do we engage with, everything plays a part in framing the identity of us. And, and yes, I, I love meeting new people and having conversations with them and having tea time with them and better still doing the moustache dance with them and just, you know, embarrassing myself and, you know, just doing spontaneous things because when we do not do spontaneous things, I feel this, when I do not do spontaneous things to push myself to immerse with different kinds of people, when I say different kinds of people, people of all kinds of background, I have friends who are 60 years old or 70 years old. I have friends who are 19 years old, um, of all ages, right? But I even mm-hmm. speak with my nephew, who is, uh, how old is he? 12 years old. And we fight. Oh my God, both of us fight. We argue. And, and after arguments, we would speak. Um, we would come together. Well, we FaceTime. That's how we argue. We FaceTime. And then I, I would tell him, you know, uh, both of us will, he will first say, you know, Aunt Mila, I know that you're irritated with me, but, you know, uh, you know, listen to me first. And then I'll tell him, I'm really sorry that I got irritated at you. Um, and also trying to understand myself, why did I get irritated with him, you know, and trying to understand him from his lens and just humanizing that, that misunderstanding or disagreements Oh, we used to fight. But now every time we have a disagreement, we will both say, okay, let's take a break and then let's speak again. So it gives us some time to, you know, recollect. Uh, that age gap usually pushes me, at least for myself, pushes me to like think, oh my God. Yeah, because he lives in a different country now and he is experiencing different things. So it pushes me to think differently. But those are all essential uh, to have a fulfilling life, at least for myself, because the diversity of it and the joy that I get from speaking, they're epic people like both of yourselves. Yeah. 